Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. What the truth? You can't handle the truth. Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here are your hosts, Rob Dalrymple and Vinny Angelo. Well, hey, everyone, welcome in. We are continuing through the book of Revelation, and today is one of those exciting days where we get to bring on a guest. Um, and this is actually a guest who we've already referenced in some areas, so uh, this will be cool to actually get his voice on. But Rob, why don't you go ahead and give the bio? Uh, yeah, we are excited to have what I think is one of the premier biblical scholars, especially when it comes to the book of Revelation. Uh, David De Silva is a New Testament scholar and a professor of New Testament and Greek at Ashland Theological Seminary in Ohio. He received his PhD in religion from Emory University, and he's authored a number of books and commentaries, including an introduction to the New Testament, context, methods, and ministry formation. He's written a commentary on Galatians and on Ephesians, and then these we'll put the links to in, in the uh, Show notes also, but seeing things John's way, the rhetoric of the book of Revelation, unholy allegiances, heeding Revelation's warning, which we want to recommend every one of you mm-hmm. to pick up. Basically a commentary, right, David? Discovering Revelation is kind of your, your is that, that's your, yeah, Discovering Revelation, Context, Interpretation, and Reception. And then a wonderful book also that Vinny and I have referred to this series along for a number of times called A Week in the Life of, and David wrote the, the book on A Week in the Life of Ephesus. So if you want to get a good background on what Life was like in first century Ephesus. This is a wonderful, wonderful book. David is a ordained elder in the Florida Conference of the Global Methodist Church. And uh, Vinny, I probably said this to you before, and, and I know David will be kind of whatever to say, but I'm going to say it anyways. But, you know, I meet a lot of scholars and whatever at, at, some, at these conferences and things like that. But there are some that are just really, really good people, too. And David's in that category. He's just one of the really, really good people. So I'm sure he didn't uh, appreciate me saying that necessarily, but it's wonderful to have you with us, David. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks, Rob. You're, you're welcome. So uh, if we can start maybe just telling us a little bit more about your story, your family, how you got to where you are. You live in Florida, but you work in a, at a university in Ohio. Kind of fill us in a little bit on, on who David Da Silva is. Sure. And yes, thanks for for having me on this podcast. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about Revelation with you all. I am married, and uh, Donna Jean and I have been married for 30, coming up on 33 years. All right. We are the parents of three grown children, um, all of them sons, uh, all of them supporting themselves. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I grew up Episcopalian, actually, and okay. um, I fell in love with the liturgy and hymnody of the church at an early age, was mm. drawn to God, was drawn to scripture. By the time I was 13, I was devouring the word, and I, I kind of, I looked to that as uh, the turning point in my mm. life with God, my commitment to Jesus, and the direction of my life. Uh the two loves of my life, uh, scripture and church music, mm. came to me before I hit puberty, and they've been with me uh, ever <laughs> since. <laughs> That's wonderful, wonderful. Well, we have a lot in common. I've been married 33, but going on 34 years. Okay. And we have three grown boys uh, and one girl, and she's tw- she's 20. So The bonus yeah. child. Yeah, yeah, the bonus yeah, child that came along later, yeah. But the discontinuity is Rob has zero musical abilities. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to explain, say that. Yeah. My, my two loves are, you know, my family and sports, you know, right? But, uh, oh, well, I didn't want to sound like, you know, uh, I wasn't an academic here, so. Hey, so, uh, David, one of the things that we always do when we get a guest on, you know, when we talk about a book, and especially with Revelation, is we want to say, hey, uh Give us a big picture in terms of how you see the book uh, before we get into maybe some specific things. But what are some central themes or a theme that you see through the book? And just when, when you when you're teaching a class on this, which I'm sure you have in your context uh, <laughs> once or twice, uh, like when you start off before you get into chapter one, verse one, what are the things that you're just giving people, uh, you know, that that those those goggles to look for? Sure. Um I'd say one of the the main things that Revelation, that John is trying to do through Revelation, is just raise the question of what does God deserve? Mm-hmm. And how, how should we live uh, in the midst of all the challenges and situations we find ourselves? How should we live in such a way that aligns our practice with what God deserves? So I know that's not probably a typical thing to, to come out with with Revelation, uh, but but it seems from beginning to end, 
uh, John's uh, John's passion is for uh, calling all people to honor and fear God, worship him who made them, keep his commandments, keep the testimony of Jesus, mm. give God his due. Mm. Um, and from the negative side of all that, uh, Revelation is the most outspoken book in the canon uh, concerning what happens when you don't <laughs> God, <laughs> yeah, yeah. God's due. And, and so, mm. yeah. So I think that that would be a major theme. Um, I know it might be more fashionable to talk about, oh, you know, the, the victory of God in the end or, or, or what have you. And, and that that's all part of it. But I think John is, is really very much concerned with what, uh, his hearers are going to do tomorrow. Mm. Um, and he wants to make sure that front and center in their mind is I'm going to do what is just and right in God's sight, no matter what it costs. Hmm. So in the end, that is the most hmm. honorable and advantageous thing for me to do. Which is the Christian calling, isn't it? I like right? to think so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But easier <laughs> said than done, too, I think, too. Also, excellent. Well, David, as we mentioned to you before we started uh, today's show, that uh, we just completed a study of the seven messages, which I think you call the seven oracles. And we kind of examined the Roman context. We went into some depth, I think, I hope on that, with the imperial cult and address some of the pressures that Christians were or may have been facing in the Roman world. And we wanted to bring you on to kind of go even deeper with that discussion. Obviously, we mentioned earlier that you wrote a book called A Week in the Life of Ephesus. You, you know, you, you've lived in this world a little bit. So this is kind of an open question, but uh, what can you tell us to help us understand further what life was like for the average person and obviously the average Christian person in particular and what the Christians were affected, what, what affected the Christians and, and how they were affected and what John was addressing to them in light of that background. So that, that might be a lot. You can talk for 30 minutes if you need to, but, but fill us in, please. That is a huge question. Okay, good. <laughs> um, what was life like in the first century? Uh, yeah. Well. <laughs> in, in, in 50 words or less. Yes, yeah. in a so, tweet. <laughs> um, and, and you mentioned the imperial cults. Roman imperialism is, of course, very important. I, I want to be careful not to overemphasize any one thing, although I do think that's an important yeah. uh, facet of their situation. Um, I think one of the things that is true for most people in Roman Asia Minor, not the elites per se, but most people, life is fairly precarious. Uh, life is not economically secure, and one needs to not rock one's network too mm -hmm. much. Mm -hmm. One needs to keep one's social attachments and social circles and and uh, those networks of of better placed friends uh, that we like to call patrons because you never know when you're going to need something mm -hmm. because something didn't work out. Mm -hmm. And if uh, um, anyway, uh, so, so life is a bit precarious and, and it's, it's, um, it's risky when there's nothing in the bank as it were, mm -hmm. uh, where there's no job security, uh, no, no uh, uh, typical, you know, safety nets in society that we're so used to. So when you step out and and decide to associate yourself with an unpopular sect, mm. that's risky. It's dangerous, and it and it carries real costs. So you're uh, you're, you're talking about people then that live hand to mouth, day by day, no security for tomorrow. Yes, exactly. Right. Uh, right. The, the the majority, I would say, of artisans, okay. um, uh, those who. Uh, work lower down the pay scale in the mm -hmm. shipping and trade industries, of course, every agricultural worker. Mm -hmm. uh, and even though we talk about the seven cities, mm -hmm. you know, the seven cities are sustained by a host of agricultural workers living outside the cities, living okay. in villages in the hinterlands of the cities. So yeah, like 95% of the population mm -hmm. is... Okay, in, exactly. in a precarious okay. place. Yeah. Okay. Very good. And, and it, so to suddenly paint a target uh, on their uh, on their yeah. foreheads, saying, you know, I no longer, you know, honor the gods that keep society going, right. like you do, <laughs> um, it invites a lot of unwanted attention and 
Um, yeah. So I think that's, and, and, that's well, and David, is that what you mean when you said you, uh, you know, they don't want to disrupt society? What, what you're meaning is by not giving allegiance to the gods that keep society going. It's not just a personal conviction, religious conviction. You're you're risking messing up just how society works in general. Exactly. And losing that which gives you kind of a credit rating mm-hmm. in the ancient world, being a reliable, honorable, pious person. Who, who pulls together with the rest of us mm-hmm. uh, to make sure that all of us get what we need. And, and we actually believe that the gods provide this because as one uh, one persecutor famously said, we too are a pious people. You know, we, we really believe this stuff for the most part. Mm. So the witness of early Christians becomes quite a mm. challenge to their neighbors. Uh, one that is obviously, as the history of the church showed, not not, not typically well-received. Wow, interesting. So when you're looking at the imperial cult, then this is something that's going to affect all of Rome and, and Rome's citizens and inhabitants. Um, so from a Christian standpoint, then, you have this issue of there's a new conviction, a new ethic for people who are following Israel's Messiah and the God of Israel, this is creating a major impact for those people, not just per, like as a personal crisis of conscience, but then just how they not just function within society, but actually live like like have their being within uh, a systemic uh, culture. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned the God of Israel, mm. because for the for the majority of folks in Ephesus or Pergamum or Smyrna, etc., the focus of attention is Rome, as you yeah. say. That's the center of the map. Um, and the people in Asia Minor and the people in Italy actually share a great deal in terms of common culture and religion. They understand one another. They get they get us <laughs> <laughs> to to play on a modern uh, uh, slogan, but. Then we have a number of our neighbors here uh, meeting together in, in, in pockets in people's mm-hmm. houses. Um, and they're suddenly shifting their attention to the tribal god of this subject people mm-hmm. somewhere off there to the east. We're not exactly wow. sure where. <laughs> that's just that's a foreign superstition mm-hmm. making its way. It's a barbaric fringe superstition making its way into our midst. And turning formerly good God's-fearing people Mm. into members of some sort of cult. And, you know, not to make too much of just the the imperial cult per se, but what is the hope of most of these people's neighbors? I Mm. I believe that most of them really hope that Rome will last. Mm. And that good emperors, you know, not the the occasional uh, nut job like Caligula or Nero, Mm -hmm. great great case studies for why cousins shouldn't marry. Uh, but, but sensible sensible emperors and sensible governors who will foster the conditions that allow our precarious lives to flourish predictably. Uh, stability, peace, insurance against invasion or any of those things that are just terribly disruptive. And, and the only safety net for us, by the way, here in Ephesus, if there is a massive crop failure in Asia Minor is the emperor and his machine for sending uh, uh, grain our way. Um, so our hope is in him. Mm. You know, that that song that some, you know, we, we used to sing in contemporary worship back in the 90s when this song was contemporary. Our hope is in you, Lord, is easily something that a lot of the Christians' neighbors in Ephesus could have sung to Vespasian mm-hmm. and Titus, Domitian, uh, and meant it. Uh, so yeah, now I'm rambling. This is the no, danger. No, that's great. No that's great. No, excellent. Because and what you're talking about too, right, is the idea that the gods are the ones who are really in control, but the gods have put the emperor in power to maintain that control and stability in the empire. Excellent, and that's exactly kind of uh, how how Virgil, for example, in in the Aeneid wants Romans to think about it. The emperor and Augustus is is practically named in the in the Aeneid. Uh, or, or that wonderful inscription that I'm sure you've already talked about from Priene, the calendar inscription. Mm-hmm. Providence, divine providence has given the world Augustus. Yeah. 
to be the means by which order, stability uh, uh, will will come to the the whole world. So his birthday was the beginning of good news. Right. I think we actually mentioned world. that in our study of the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Mark, yeah. And we okay. Did, well, when yeah. we open up the Gospel of Mark, because I think Mark's maybe alluding to that as yeah, yeah, yeah. This political yeah, yeah. statement of Mark, Mark one one. Now the Christians come along uh, with the Jews, and they worship an invisible God who can't be seen, and they were accused of being atheists. So. It was not only something that was anti-imperial, anti uh, the religious fiber of the day, but it was something that didn't make sense to the people too, right? I mean, the Christian message I'm saying didn't make sense to the Roman neighbor, because who worships an, a god that can't be seen? Yeah, um, I I do wonder about okay. that because okay. there there are philosophical strains in Greek and and, and Latin literature that okay. talk about. You know the god who can't be depicted by these images oh, that we have, right. and they're all just they're all just kind of uh, uh, the faces that we put on the one god who is beyond them all. Hmm. But having said that, with, with that just word, just just curious on what you mean by that? Are you is that kind of like a Act seventeen, like the unknown god, like it, maybe even alluding to like the great uh, mathematician type idea, god that can be unknown. Like, is that what you're referring to, or or or, or just you know uh, uh, the one god of of a Plato or an Aristotle, yeah. mm -hmm. okay. who is depicted, who is mm -hmm. what refracted mm -hmm. poorly right. through our many ideas of mm -hmm. the gods. Interesting. Uh, so yeah. there, so there is this philosophical monotheism out there, but. Let's face it. Who was that? That didn't do Socrates too, uh, too well either, though, right? <laughs> no, exactly right, and for yeah. the same reason, right? Because he yeah. denied ancient divinities and introduced new ones. So, okay, so, <laughs> so that long disclaimer and rabbit aside, which Would might get good. edited out of this podcast. No, not at all. Not no, at all. yeah, um, good. <laughs> I only um, added out things that Vinny says when he talks yes. about Al Davis and the Raiders. <laughs> the, the the problem, of course, with judaism with with jews and their faith is not that they believe in an invisible god but they deny the existence of anyone else's gods oh, okay, good, that's good. just antisocial. that's just mean that's wrong mm. uh, because we we're we're willing to make room for for their god oh yeah we're willing to make room for everyone's gods because mm. we're we're a tolerant and pluralistic religious mm. society but for anyone to come along and say, your gods are sticks and stones, but ours is real. No, mm. uh, that's not going to fly. And of course, the Christians inherit that faith tradition mm -hmm. uh, and embrace it wholeheartedly. Now, the three of us are all here in this podcast because we think they happen to have been correct. Yeah, right. <laughs> but in, in the first century, that's really um, a, a strike against the piety that was mm. widely regarded as the foundation of social order. Hey, everyone, we want to thank you for joining us on today's podcast. And we want to remind you that everything we provide at Determined Truth is free of charge. And this even includes all of the teaching that Rob does on a weekly basis to pastors in India and around the world. We don't have any supporters that get special behind the scenes access. But we can only do this with the generous support that comes from those of you who can afford to give. So if you would prayerfully consider supporting us with anything from $5 a month or more, we will continue to work hard to challenge the church to be the church. To give, go to DeterminedTruth.com and click on the Give tab or follow the link in the show notes. So on a daily basis or weekly basis or whatever, this is kind of a one-off question, but what are some ways in which this manifested itself in a regular daily life or routine of a week or a course of a month? for a person in Ephesus who just become a Christian and now they're confronted with this. What are some examples of, of ways sure. in which this, this manifests itself, the conflict? Um, it, in large measure, it calls them to withdraw themselves from places that they naturally flocked to two weeks ago. Such as? <laughs> and and um, uh, don't, don't let me forget to okay. come back to the Nicolaitans. Okay, remind good. Right, very good. Um, that's on you, Vinny. Uh, so on the 23rd of the month, that's Augustus's birthday. Okay. Now, technically, it's September, but it doesn't matter. He's Augustus. We celebrate it every 23rd of the month. Oh, so wow. there's a, a there's a there's a, a, a religious festival. There there hmm. are week, sorry, not weekly, there are monthly processions of Artemis through the city of Ephesus. Oh, okay. Where thousands of citizens come out to watch a hundred or 200 
uh, priests and citizens participate in the procession of the sacred images and mm. everything that goes along with it. The the dancers, the the the, the musicians, the sacrifices. It sounds like Mardi water. Gras. Well, <laughs> like that's what I'm picturing. It's even better because it ends with free meat. Mm, right, right. Who doesn't like free meat? Right. Especially for people that like don't eat meat. Yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, with bread, wine, and the meat from the sacrificial animals provided mm. for all in a great fellowship meal that pulls the city together and reminds us of our civic unity. We mm. don't go to that anymore. We don't get any of those anymore. Mm. When our patrons invite us to dinner, which is you know a huge uh, gift to us, and we don't go or we show up late because we mm -hmm. know they say grace and we don't want to be part of that. We don't want to be part of the libations. And, you know, in, in, in some ways of, of thinking, once I pour out a little bit of the wine in honor of the gods, the rest of the wine is sacred to the gods. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to touch any of that. Mm. Um, trade guilds have patron deities. So am I going to show up late to every meeting? Am I not going to go at all? Am I going to risk my networks of fellow mm -hmm. craftsmen, my business associates? Again, one of the few things that is formed to be a kind of social safety net. Um, that also impacts your business if you don't, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So there's a, there's a big economic reason to, to attend. And, 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 and people are going to start to notice mm -hmm. that you don't show up anymore. Mm -hmm. We never see you at these functions. Why is that? What is you're always sick you? on the twenty third day of the month? I know, right? <laughs> What's up with that? Like, I don't know. It's just weird how that happens. Um, and uh, and those who are elite are going to have difficulty maintaining their uh, uh, elite mm -hmm, status, mm -hmm, their mm -hmm. influence, because they cannot participate in in most of the uh, the fora in which elite people participate. I mean, religion is is tied into everything mm. in the first century. So some of the characters in that little novella that you mentioned, A Week in the Life of Ephesus, just I try to paint the picture of what it's like for an up-and-coming member of the elite to mm. have to navigate holding on to faithful Christian witness and obedience in this polytheistic world, or what it's like for a, a, a merchant slash trader Mm -hmm. to do so what is like for a slave in the household of a pagan householder to do so mm. um and in in every case i mean religion is so ubiquitous that to have strong convictions about abstaining from any worship but that of the god of israel and his christ is is lining you up for alienation uh, Hence the Nicolaitans. I remembered myself. There you go. There you go. That's right. Okay. Right. And 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 why should their gospel be gaining a foothold? I'm sure you talked about this. So I'll, I'll just be quick. Why should their gospel be gaining a foothold in Pergamum and Thyatira? Thanks to the to the teacher whose name was surely not Jezebel. <laughs> um, and you know maybe starting to make inroads in Ephesus, but the door was slammed in their face because their gospel is the way to survive economically and socially in this world we know that an idol is nothing what's the problem with eating food sacrificed to idols with showing up we know that these gods are empty nothing so why should we harm ourselves why should we become pariah in our city when there's no spiritual harm uh, to be had there and I think John's answer is the spiritual harm might not be to you. It's to everyone around you, to whom you are no longer witnessing to the one God and his claim on you. Hmm. So there oh, interesting. What, if, if we were to jump down into the actual seven messages of this to the seven churches right now, when we look at this, you read the seven messages and it seems as though each congregation has its own issue that it's dealing with. I mean, it's very specific. John is specific to that. But do you see that there's a main point that maybe John would want all the churches to know? Or is there maybe a primary issue confronting the churches? Uh, or do you do you categorize them all as just being completely uh, different? Well, um, at the risk of repeating myself, I think there is one message that he has to each of the churches. Whatever you do tomorrow, make sure it will have Christ's approval mm. and not Christ's censure. Mm. Because that's what's going to count forever. 
Mm. And there are great promises mm -hmm. if you seek Christ's approval. Mm. And there are heavy consequences if you neglect uh, his warnings to walk in line with his witness. Mm -hmm. So I think that's I think that's the frame for all of them. You know, the, this refrain to the one who conquers, to the one who overcomes, which is an important, very important theme mm -hmm. throughout Revelation. Overcoming is all about choosing the path that pleases Christ. Would you summarize that? I like to say it this way and tell me if, if you would agree with it, that really the question at hand is who is Lord? Is Jesus Lord or is Caesar Lord? To whom do you give your allegiance? As uh, Nelson Crable's uh, wonderful book was titled, right? Uh, yeah. Allegiance and uh, what is it? Allegiance and apocalypse, apocalypse and, and allegiance. Yes. Yeah, yeah. A fabulous book. Would you agree that that's a good way of summarizing the, the whole point at hand? It, and, it is. Although I'm, I might say that 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 gives too much credits to the other side. Okay. Is Caesar Lord? It may not be the question on everyone's mind. You know, uh, who counts more? Christ's opinion or my neighbor's? Mm. Um, to, to whom do I owe greater loyalty? Christ or my patron? Mm -hmm. uh, whatever. Oh, so so yes, I mean, is, is, yeah, is yeah, Jesus Lord down or down Caesar? Yeah. But, you know, who do I serve? Right. Right. And then this brings in Matthew 6, right? Where, where, why do you worry about food? Why do you worry about clothing? Because that really becomes kind of the nuts and bolts of it is because if you don't give allegiance to your to your patron, then it's food and clothing. And Jesus is like, hey, look, you can't serve God and mammon. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Excellent. Sure. Excellent. So as the book of Revelation progresses, you especially when you get into the later parts, you get into chapters 17 and 18, you start to see that it's not just the religious side of things. And we've already talked a lot through the, you know, today and even through the series, how you can't really separate religion and politics. There's not a separation of church and state <laughs> that exists. Everything is so entwined. It's a pot of spaghetti in terms of uh, looking at everything. But you also start seeing uh, aspects of material prosperity in Rome. Um, and then it comes through the expensive of human life. So, and I just brought up 17 and 18. I mean, you can go back to chapter 13 and the, the second beast, you know, there's aspects of economics that you, you're already seeing there. You know, even in chapter 18, you have this kind of diminishing list of what they saw was important. And then you, you get to human souls at the very end. It starts with like costly, costly cargo and it, it finishes up at human souls. Um, what does Roman prosperity look like, especially when it comes at the expense of others, especially, you know, human beings? Yeah, um, great question. Let, let's start right where you where you left us. Human souls, mm. right? You might already have hit on this in earlier studies, but slavery was the backbone of the right. Greek economy and then the Roman economy after it. Um, estimates widely vary. I've seen everything from 10% of the population of the Roman Empire to 33% of the population of the Roman Empire. Even if you go with the lower end of that, that is still a lot. Yeah. of human beings being treated essentially like livestock to get the job done mm. so that those above that 10% <laughs> can, mm -hmm. can reap the profits of it. But I think 10% is way too low. Mm -hmm. I would tend toward a quarter to a third. I would tend more toward the higher estimate of things. But even aside from that, the subsistence level work of most agrarian workers throughout the empire mm -hmm. is is a difficult existence right they're not at subsistence level because they're bad farmers and don't know what they're doing they're at subsistence level because taxes and tribute mm -hmm. might require a third mm -hmm. of their mm -hmm. crop or if they don't own their land they're in even worse shape because they're also getting a share to the landowner who does. And so all of that produce that is simply passed on is pure profit for those who receive it, leaving just pure subsistence <laughs> for those that, who have yeah, done the that, work. Yeah. And, and that's, the, that's the majority, the vast majority of people, like 90% of the population of the Mediterranean mm -hmm. is involved in agrarian labor in the first century and then of course you know uh, rome is always going to get her cut right so the extraction of wealth from the provinces 
that's always a reality of ancient empires. It was for Alexander, the Seleucids, the Ptolemies. The Ptolemies were particularly good at it. And, yeah. the, and, and the Romans. I think of it as just a huge protection racket, essentially. Hmm. You pay us protection money. It's like the mob. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that we don't destroy you. Right. <laughs> we protect you from the enemies out there, but we don't destroy you ourselves. So mm -hmm. all of this combines, I think. Oh, and one more factor, the one that John uh, dwells on the, the most. There is tremendous profit to be made by a small slice of the local population by sending all the resources possible toward the center of the empire mm -hmm. and toward the elites at the center of the empire. Hence, the merchants and the seafarers and sea captains have top billing in Revelation 18, that, that whole sort of trade and transportation industry, that um, in the words of one rich guy, Elias Aristides, toward the early second century, can leave the, the provinces bare. Uh, he's talking about the wealth that he sees and the products that he sees available throughout the city of Rome itself. It's like, wow, it's like the trees of Arabia and India have been left bare Mm. So that all of the plenty could be gathered here. And I hope he's kind of tongue-in-cheek about it and not just that totally unaware of the cost of empire. But but all of that, I think, contributes to kind of the, the economic exploitation yeah. that John sees, names, and excoriates in mm. Revelation 17 and 18. Yeah. We hope you're enjoying the podcast, and we want to remind you that everything we do at Determined Truth, the podcast, Rob's blog, and our YouTube channel, is available on the Determined Truth app. Directions on how to download the app is available in the show notes and on the DeterminedTruth.com website. Just click on the app tab. I'm hmm. pretty sure that I got it from your work, seeing things John's way, but I wrote some blogs on this during the pandemic. Is the COVID virus the third seal of the book of Revelation? Or I'm like, no, yeah. And I was talking about well, that was the one percent mortality rate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah really. Uh, some of the third seal in particular, in terms of quarter of wheat for denarius, three quarts of barley for denarius, and do not damage the oil and the wine. And in your and you mentioned, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, first that Rome actually gave free grain so that people would move to Rome because they needed this. They needed a population of people that to work the laborers to take take care of the well to do. And so they offered free grain for anyone that moved to Rome and how that impacted the rest of the of the Roman Empire, especially if there's a famine elsewhere. You want to speak to that more more clearly? Well, I think you just did a marvelous job. So well, well done. I, I, I kind of no, no, I think you can do it but, better. But that's, that's, I hope I did a marvelous that's job. That's essentially you have two hundred thousand yeah. families living in the city of Rome hmm. on the dole. Um so Grain is brought from Alexandria, Syria, Sicily, and other places by the bargeful to keep Rome's 200,000 families receiving at least a modicum mm -hmm. of, of free sustenance. Mm -hmm. um, and that takes grain away from all of these provinces and from all of the mouths of the people in the provinces who are not protected by Rome's interests. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, uh, in a good year, nobody's starving. In a bad year, nobody in Rome and none of the elites in the provinces are going to be starving. Mm -hmm. But that's part of the fragility I was mentioning of, yeah. of life in these in these periods. And so Rome's appetite for everything from staples, as, as Vinny uh, pointed out earlier, staples like grain and olive oil and wine to luxury items. You know, their conspicuous consumption and in many cases their hoarding of these items mm. simply left uh, precious little for whole populations in the periphery. All right, and I'll put a link to the blog that I wrote on uh, in the show notes also. So, all right, so one of the things that I've been wrestling with a lot, and I think I'll be wrestling with a lot more now that I finish my commentary, and I think this is the next step, uh, is really is kind of the, the U.S. We seem to have similarly benefited from stealing land. From the genocide of the indigenous people, which helps us with stealing land, and of course, of course, from slavery and, and free labor. In seeing things John's way, you wrote, you note that quote, one cannot share in the profits of domination without also sharing in its crimes. At page forty-seven, and then on page three hundred forty-eight, you note one cannot profit from Babylon's partnership and violence, and then expect a welcome in the New Jerusalem. 
Do you see a parallel there with kind of the United States and colonial enterprise that, that we've partaken of there? And if, if you want to speak to that, you can. If you don't want to speak to that, I understand. I sense that there's really only one correct answer to your question. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so, I didn't fair. <laughs> of course, of course. And, and this yeah. is one of the, the things that I think is uh, a great gift that Revelation can give us. Mm. It can give us the courage to ask those questions about our own system, about our own, uh, about our own history. And are, are we going to, let me, let me back up and start that this way. You know, the, the people in Rome had a propagandistic story that they could buy into. Mm. It was it was announced in in hymns of praise to Rome itself, worshipped as a goddess, mm. to the emperors, uh, celebrating the, the destiny of Rome, celebrating the achievements of Rome. You know, how many coins from the first century have pox on the back piece? Mm. How many have securitas on the back? Security. Mm. Um, and other symbols of just the benefits of empire. And with Revelation, John challenges uh, a whole bunch of Gentile Christians to come out of that ideology. As more and more people join the Christian movement and are exposed to texts like this, you know, they all have this opportunity to come out of the ideology that sustains exploitative practices that are themselves sustained ultimately by violence. Uh, you can't opt out of the empire, as Judea learned, <laughs> to incredible mm -hmm. harm in 70 uh, CE. Um, but but individuals can opt mm. out of believing the story as it's told and maybe saying, is there more to the story that we need to pay attention to so that we don't simply uh, perpetuate its ills mm. and, and enjoy the benefits that come from it, but, but begin to you know, divest ourselves of the practices and the fruits of unjust practices mm. so we can be right with God because ultimately you know we we in revelations world we want to stand before God's judgment throne mm -hmm. and be found righteous mm -hmm. and holy uh, not to have not to be found to have lived in flagrant violation of the commandments of God and the warnings of the prophets mm. that John kind of regurgitates and renovates uh, throughout Revelation, but especially in chapter 18 on, on this very subject. So yes, mm. we have that opportunity to do as, as you're doing. Um, as, as a colleague of mine, Dan Hawk, has mm, done yes. for, I want to say, a decade and a half in regard to the, 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 the untold history of Indigenous peoples in okay. America. And, and uh, building bridges again between Christian churches and Native American Christians uh, with a view to acknowledgement, lament, reconciliation, and repair. Mm. It's it's a great work. It's a very important work. Yeah. Just everything we've been talking about for the last few minutes is so highly applicational <laughs> in the modern world. Uh, and I, I'm thinking back even right, like as I reflect in the last two minutes of hearing you speak, David, like instantly I'm making connections on in terms of what application could look like for today. It's funny because it's, it's actually reminding me of the first time I read the unholy allegiances book that you wrote. I was familiar with revelation itself and I hadn't done all the background uh, work. And so just reading that text alone, just by being from, you know, you're not, it's not written as a normal commentary where you're, you're exegeting all the passages. You're just given background on, on Rome but you're doing the relevant stuff to revelation. And I remember reading it saying like, oh my gosh, I'm making connections to revelation without it having to be a commentary. If, if, if this makes sense. And so, it even, does. Thank you. yeah, yeah no, and, and I, I always recommend this, uh, you know, in, in our local church, when I teach hermeneutics classes, that's always one of the resources I put on there in terms mm -hmm. of, uh, for revelation, like read this book. It's, it's a great book. Lay people could get it. You know, the seminarian's going to glean from it. A fantastic work. Um, but even as I'm hearing you now, it's like, okay, I'm making connections for what, application can look like for 
the ethic of, of how we view people, how we view goods, uh, how this plays out. If you were to though teach without having to infer that, if you were to then teach or preach a sermon on this, what are the types of things that you would, you would specifically push on and, and specifically create those bridges from revelation to modern American culture? Wow. In regard with with the aspect of economics and you know how that might work with idolatry and 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 worship and you know just ways that we could actually play the, you know live this out. Okay, so I'm not sure that Revelation itself has a great deal of say practical advice uh-huh. <laughs> in regards to um, living this out, but it does very clearly establish a frame. There is one who sits upon the throne, and there's Mm. only one. Mm. We all live under his reign, and we're either living obediently and faithfully, or we're living rebelliously. So are we living obediently? Are we honoring the reign of God and of his Messiah, of his Christ? Mm. So I, I think one of the things I would push on Um, would be, are we building our economic practices? Are we building our social practices? And by we, I mean those of us who claim Christ, not our society or anything like that, but are we building our own social and economic practices on Jesus' commandments and instructions? Mm -hmm. Very simply, Uh, because if we are, Uh, We're doing what our Lord tells us, which Jesus seemed to think was important. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I tell you? Mm. Just to ask a clarifying question, because first off, you're addressing this to the people of God. All right. So it's you're almost I'm wondering, are you assuming that Rome is going to act like Rome? So don't be surprised that they do this sort of thing. Babylon's going to be Babylon. America is going to be America. <laughs> you know, who, whoever is going to be a, what they are. So people of God, what do you look like when you're establishing your practice? So that, that's, you know, it, it's not just it, uh, criticizing the world, although there is a criticism. Exactly, for the world. exactly. And, and maybe, you know, my own leanings are a little bit too standoffish in terms of reforming society. Mm-hmm. But I have this sense that if the, what, two billion Christians alive on the planet today were fully committed simply to living together um, in line with God's commandments and Jesus' instructions, that would be a world-transforming witness Mm -hmm. in itself without us ever, you know, storming Washington and saying it has to be done this way or anything, you know, just ridiculously political (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) like that. Uh, and and so, you know, I, I think many of my friends and, and, and parishioners, uh, they, they lose a lot of time and energy talking about what should happen in politics. Mm. And um, if we just put that energy together into coming out of the Babylonish practices of our own country and figuring out how to really build our lives on the foundation of Jesus' instructions, that would be transformative for us, for anyone who witnesses it, for those who join us, who come out also and join us, remembering that we are just, you know, a small part of of a kingdom of made up from people of every nation and tribe and language group. And all of us doing this together that would be the greatest political transformation of the world possibly. I mean, that is the reign of God coming into uh, reality in our sphere where those of us who call Jesus Lord live that way. Hmm. That's really vague in general. I know, but mm-hmm. it's not like you're paying me for this. So you get what you get. Right? <laughs> wow. There you go. That was solid. I don't know if that was passive aggressive or brilliant. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> I don't think anyone's getting paid for this, uh, but uh, uh, excellent. The question of wealth and material prosperity and things of that nature, I think that the question at hand, right, is, and tell me what you think of this, is whether or not, it's not a question of whether one can be wealthy or not. It's whether or not the question of wealth was gained at the expense of somebody else or not. Would you say it that way? I think that's fair. 
I think it's difficult in the systems of the world as they were in the first century and frankly, as they are in the 21st century for um, great wealth to be gathered, not at somebody else's expense mm. at some point. Now I'm no economist, right? but I, I just have this sense that, um, so I'm gonna kind of expose myself to being canceled here, I guess, by some members of your your audience but you know uh, the vision of capitalism mm -hmm. may not be compatible with mm -hmm. jesus vision for wealth right because it's not because wealth that is piled up mm -hmm. is the treasure that is lost mm -hmm. wealth that is invested in other people especially to relieve their need is the treasure that is kept forever mm. so so, so on the one hand, just the amassing of wealth, I think, right. is problematic for us who right. call Jesus Lord. And the other side of it is, where where is there really wealth that is untainted? Mm. So mm. Uh, that 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 may be too cynical. Maybe no, it's no, out I think, there. It's certainly the case in Revelation in the, what Luke seventeen, Luke eighteen. Right? It's like, how'd you, how'd you get your wealth, oh rich young ruler? What are you doing with it? Right? And Oh, I, I've kept all the commands. Oh, okay, have you? Right, exactly. And then, of course, we meet Zacchaeus in Luke 19, and, and, and he realized, oh, wait a minute, oh, I have done this. Yeah, so. Uh, and Yeah, would... Zacchaeus, he lost his whole nest egg yeah. when he came to faith, and he realized, I, I have put piling up money ahead of my relationships with my feather, fellow Israelites. I've traded their goodwill and their well-being for my own mm. personal wealth. I've got to reverse that. Yeah. Mm. This is a challenging question, I think, for the American Christian. Now, your statement about capitalism doesn't mean that you're a socialist or you're a communist. The point of that is, I think any any secular economic system is going to have its flaws. Mm -hmm. what That's happens. right. There exactly. isn't there isn't yeah, a exactly. pure one. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's the nature of and there isn't a Christian systems. one per se either, because yeah. obviously we're comprised of people from all nations. Okay, right. but now you have in the first century world, and I think this is why this is not addressed so explicitly, like the American contemporary context is not addressed as explicitly is because in the first century context, you lived with your family, you're, you're, the kids, the idea of, of honor your father and mother is the fact that when they get old, you care for them and they live on the same land. Now, of course, my kids live in DC, I'm living in Sacramento with my grandson, I'm not bitter about that, but that's okay, we'll get over that some other time. But, and then, you know, another kid here in Phoenix and, and my daughter here at home, you know, and so all of a sudden now you, we have to have this 401k, we have to have this retirement system, we have this, have to have this security in place so that when we retire, whatever that might mean. And so Americans are, we're prone to save for that retirement, but I think we would stop and go, okay, yeah, but do we have too much as it is? Do we have too much now? And therefore, what I'm retiring for is, and the nest egg I need for that is to sustain a level of existence that I don't need to sustain. And so how do we address this in a contemporary setting then when it's about accumulation for the sake of retirement, about accumulation for the sake of provision? Yeah. You, you, know, you know what I'm getting at there? Yeah. 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 And, and I think one of... And I don't think there's a, actually a solution to this. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> but I think one of the huge problems is that our idea of church mm. has drifted so far from Jesus' idea okay, of of the family of his followers. Mm. You know, it, it has not proven true yeah. that those who have left father and mother and brother and sister and child and house and field for his sake and for the sake of the gospel, have found all of those things a hundredfold because we mm -hmm. do not provide that for one another. Wow, that's a huge failure. And think about how 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 much freer we could be mm. with wealth to relieve present need now. Right. If we had created a church culture where we really were committed to one another and to sustaining one another's needs between now and our transition to eternity but we don't have that family you're right about the natural families kind of yeah. uh disintegration is the wrong word uh what's the word kind of just being spread out all over the place 
I think disintegration is not, yeah. it's not a bad okay. word. Yeah, yeah. But, 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 no, but we haven't that. replaced that yeah, with the, church. the church's yeah. vision for church as a family that is every bit as strong as a natural family. Yeah. And then because so much churches, there's been so much church misappropriation of funds, of, of resources, of whatever, that people don't even trust the church to do that any longer either, right? Well, yes. And I, 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 I suppose I'm not thinking about church as institutions so much as church as other Christians. Okay, okay. A community. All right, yeah, local community. Yeah, and, I'm thinking of church as local community, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. Local okay, community okay. Is, yeah. is perfect. Okay. Uh, but but we're still, you know, we draw our boundaries around yeah. our yeah. nuclear family, our private space, and what have you. I think we will not realize our potential as people yeah. of God in this world until we recover that ideal that Jesus and Paul both strove for in Christian communities. I have one more major topic is the question of violence. This is big in, in scholarship today. I, I, don't, I think you might know Trevor Longman wrote a commentary recently on the Old Testament eyes, looking at the book of yeah, yeah. Old Testament eyes. And he was big on this, like, it's a violent text. It's a violent text. It's a violent text. I understand why. Vinny and I have discussed this before. I know Trevor. I don't think it's a violent text. I, I think the violence is the violence that the nations are doing uh, because God's allowing the nations to continue to exist out of his love and out of his grace. I think that the New Testament tells us that we need to reread and un- how we understand violence and that in the kingdom of God, violence is manifested in loving our enemies and suffering of violence. What are your thoughts on this kind of as a whole? I know obviously you haven't read my commentary yet and where I where I take it uh, through, through all the way through. But hey, Vinny, you notice he said yet. Yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, I heard that. the yet yeah, there. I, I got that. Well, of course, yeah, that's, that's right, so. <laughs> <laughs> He'll send There's you nothing, a copy. Nothing wrong with that, oh, one, right? <laughs> so, you know, I, I hate to be contrary, but, but as I read Revelation, I walk away thinking, "Dang, that's a violent text." <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> no, but and when you say that, you mean that's a violent text with God inflicting the violence, or that a violent text in terms of there's violence within the text? You know, you know, what well, I'm asking. Um. Yeah, I. As I sit here today, okay, and I can't always be convinced otherwise, I suppose, but as I sit here today, I see Revelation using the language of violence. Yes, I do too. Okay, uh, In order to express vividly uh, the wrath of God against his rebellious creatures who have done evil to one another. Yeah. All that stuff that we just talked about in Revelation 17 and 18, who have perpetrated... um, Yes. blasphemies against god in their self-glorifying ideologies going back to revelation 13 what have you but but darn it all if god doesn't have an arsenal that makes them all look like they're shooting cork guns (laughs) now i would agree by the way that that in the end there is there's no doubt that there's ultimate justice and and there's divine violence at the end i'm talking in the present day as in the interim what we'll do is we'll do this you read my commentary, we'll have you back on, and then we'll discuss it then. <laughs> All right, there we go, there yeah. we go. Excellent. Vinny, any other things that you have? No, it's just been fascinating. And I, yeah. it, I actually made this point in in a, a class I was teaching at the local, in my church uh, this weekend, where oftentimes, and th- this is actually something more applicable for the lay person uh, at the lay level, we read our people. We, we oftentimes, depending on the tradition you come from, you have your scholars that your tradition might latch onto. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in, in my context, I'm a, in a reformed Baptist context. So we're going to have like our people who we just tend to read. And, and in a Methodist tradition, you're going to have, you know, David, you would be part of that tradition. Uh, and, and so like my people aren't going to be reading generally David De Silva and Mike Gorman, but Methodists are, and, and, and we all have our people. And the point I was made is, we oftentimes fight at the lay level mm-hmm. where we have theological disagreements. And the, and the point I was making to my, to, to my people that I was teaching was when I, when I'm able to hang out with scholars who are, you know, they're, they're kind of leading the charge of helping us in this level, they have disagreements, but it's done so charitably mm. and thoughtfully in terms of taking uh, one another's thoughts uh, seriously and, and wrestling with it. And, and just the fact that like, 
you know, if we weren't meeting over Zoom right now, and if we were in the same area, like we could gladly go out and share a coffee or lunch or something right now. Um, and and I just that, I always appreciate Notice that. He and didn't it, say a beer or something like that because he's because I'm Baptist. <laughs> so we <can't> do that. <laughs> we're not allowed to because because then divine judgment would come on me. <laughs> but uh, no, I, th- that's just one of the things, kind of like in the in the mind of me, which isn't like relevant to Revelation itself. But uh, as the layperson in the uh, in the conversation right now and knowing that we have a lot of lay people listening uh, it's just like man this is something that we need to pay attention to that mm-hmm. when when we're having these conversations there is a charity there that exists uh that i just think needs to be modeled more in the church and i just that's just something i always just appreciate so kind of an offsite uh, off topic thing but it's just but, you know, but a very me. important note especially yeah. in 2023 yes yes yeah, we have become so uncharitable yes yeah. so thank you for that Vinny. it's yeah. so important because yeah. now we see through a glass darkly <laughs> right and then we shall see face to face so we we have yeah. to we have to hold our Amen. opinions and our positions a little bit lightly mm-hmm. with, a, mm-hmm. with just enough humility mm-hmm. to listen to one another charitably yes if yeah. that's gone we've forgotten our limitations yeah well and i would say the thing that unites us is in this venn diagram of different beliefs that that center of the Venn, di- Venn diagram is saying, okay, who who do you have allegiance towards? Okay, right. is it Caesar or Christ? And we would absolutely land there. And then as well, you would say, uh, and we are united in Christ. We're not united by how we might interpret some of these other things. Uh, and and it's not like that's not just a way to wash away the differences because those are significant things that we want to wrestle through. Uh, but it's just like no, there, there's something greater there, and that's the thing we need to find our unity. And so, and especially in a text like Revelation. And we, Rob, this isn't something that we've really. Sorry, I'm going off on a tangent on this one. But is there any more divisive book in the Bible than Revelation? Uh, in Romans, you know, technically. I, 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 actually, I was going to say Romans. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say maybe Romans. Uh, but man, like, we where right, do you find right. your unity? And and if you have union in Christ, then we could be okay with these other things. It's all right. Amen. Amen. So. David, a question to you. Then anything that you wanted to to throw out that we hadn't covered yet, or what you were hoping that we would ask you about? No, this, I, I do ask? want to return to the violence thing because because okay, cool. I think we cut that short, and it is important. Okay, good. Um, and, and so maybe. One thing to walk away from is that none of the violence that happens in Revelation is perpetrated by Christ followers. That's a given, right? We we all know that if we read the book carefully. We do not participate in violence at any point, even at the end. Right. It is only Christ with the word of his mouth that that deals with the enemies. I think that's really important. And, And the path that is very clearly laid out for Christ followers in Revelation is to bear witness. Yes. To, be, to live obediently and to bear witness in the face of whatever cost that incurs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a, there's a paradigm that's quite challenging mm-hmm. in 2023, uh, especially in America. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a paradigm that's uh, been tried in a small town. Nope! Oh! <laughs> Did I go there? <laughs> <laughs> but, but really, this, this idea that you know, I am not going to perpetrate violence. Right. And and how do we take seriously the call to follow a, a, a Lord who allowed himself to be slain? Right. Rather than who slaughtered, like other lords. Like and that's my Augustus, point. Yeah. Like that's, that's my point when I'm talking about violence. Okay, also, excellent. Right? Well, that's yeah, an excellent yeah. point. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay, good. Is that we are called to follow the Lamb and we, we right. imitate Christ. And because he is the lamb and not the lion, right? The word lion is applied to Jesus only once, but the word lamb is applied to Jesus 27 times in the book. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so John prefers lamb. And I don't remember what author it was. It may, might have been G.D. Carrot who talks about lion power versus lamb power and that distinction there. And I think that's that's phenomenal. And that's what we're supposed to do. So if we're to emulate God and our God is not a violent God, then I think that it makes it easier to kind of throw that out, throw that out there. But anyways, all right. Thank you. All right. Hey, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so yeah. much. I appreciate your time. So, Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Vinny. It's been great yeah. to be with you all. All right. Absolutely. Thanks for spending time with us, David. Hope everyone appreciates this. Uh, check out the show notes because we will definitely link relevant works of David. And David, was there any other way that you wanted to uh, promote in terms of how people engage with you? Are you are you present on social media? Do you have a blog? Honestly, um, I'm a bit of a cave dweller. <laughs> I, I I've I've I may have tweeted twice in my life, although I'm 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 learning that that might not be a thing much longer anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
check amazon.com occasionally. Okay. There might be something new. That's it. <laughs> Excellent. Awesome. Well, we will look in the show notes. Uh, and like I said, regarding Revelation, the uh, Unholy Allegiance, fantastic work. Yeah. Uh, Rob, you, you went through David's work on Revelation itself. Would you say that that's a, a applicable for a layperson? Or yeah, a... Unholy Allegiance is certainly the one that's most accessible to, I think, the layperson. Would you okay. agree, David? I would, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, that started off as lectures for church groups. Oh, okay. okay. With uh, with a whole bunch of slides that made it into the book as photos. Oh, so, yeah. Great, great. Okay. Right, hey, thank you so much. My pleasure. Take All right, care. everyone. Catch you guys next time. thank you for joining us on today's podcast and we would love for you to share the work of determined truth with others please follow this podcast and give a review on itunes spotify or wherever you get your podcasts your review will go a long way towards helping others find this podcast then share it with others so that we can get the word of the gospel of the kingdom to more people